grab some coffee, maybe put your earbuds in and walk around the beautiful campus, or just get comfy and listen on your commute to enjoy your LU Monday moment of information and inspiration. I'm Allie Sharp, the Director of Faculty Development and an Instructional Designer at Langston University, and I am happy to be with you wherever you are. I'm so happy to have Dr. Elizabeth Albright with us in the podcast. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to the last podcast, that gives you the information about where these ideas came from and how she uses the flipped classroom. But let's meet Dr. Albright. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Albright. I'm an assistant professor of psychology in the psychology department at Langston University. When you're listening to Dr. Albright today, at one point she talks about how she gives students quite a lot of time, about 30 minutes. And that's the value of a flipped classroom is that you're able to use a lot of that time in class that normally had to be done outside of class. So let's take a listen. Their assignment is to listen to the lecture, watch the lecture, before we talk about it in class. So they're supposed to come to class prepared, having listened to the lecture and taken notes on it. Because then in class, I'll have a structured discussion. So having a structured discussion actually helps the students to process the information more clearly and more in depth. And also because it's structured and not just kind of loosey-goosey out there, like, what did you think about the chapter? I do ask that question. What are your thoughts about the chapter? Was there anything that stood out to you as, oh, this was kind of profound and I didn't think about this before, before I ever read this or heard this? So I will ask that kind of open question. But then after you ask a question like that, you want to structure the discussion or even have that question be at the end of your discussion because, um, because you want to ensure that the students really got the information, the content from the lecture. And you want to ensure that they're able to start applying it to real world examples. Otherwise, what's the point? So, I mean, this kind of, you know, is even the case for, for in your classroom lecture. If you lecture in the classroom, that's fine, but then the students still need to be able to take that information and apply it to the assignments that they're doing or to, or to the real world where it's meaningful. Asking meaningful questions is really an important part of course design because we want our students to answer in a way that is reflective of what they're learning, that's measurable for assessment, and that makes sense in the context that it's being given. We want them to be able to answer questions in job interviews that show what they've learned at Langston and connect it to a job scenario. We don't want them to answer like their chat GPT. We want them to answer humanly with context and with meaning. So I asked Dr. Albright to give some more information about how she develops her questions. Bloom's taxonomy is has been around for a long time and it has six different levels to it. The most foundational, the bottom level being remembering. The next level is understanding. The level after that is applying. The next level is analyzing, then evaluating, and then the final and top level is creating. So what you're doing as you structure your discussion is moving through 
the steps of Bloom's taxonomy. Thank you for explaining that. Can you tell us a little bit about the basics of Bloom's or where to get started or how you use it in your classroom? Remembering questions, this is these are things like definitions, uh, basic terms, basic facts. So oftentimes with my structured discussion, I'll start with what are the five steps of you know, the topic that we covered. What are the eight stages of Erickson's theory? That's remembering. Then they just sit there and list what are those eight stages. And then um, we move on to the next step, which would be understanding. So compare and contrast. What does it mean? Well, how do we interpret? What does it mean, this trust versus mistrust at the very basic level of Erickson's stages, the very first level of Erickson's stages? Explain to me what you think about that. And then what does that mean in the real world? Well, trust versus mistrust has to do with that relationship between a parent and a child. So that's how it applies. And then we go to analyzing. What happens if that relationship is not a strong relationship? What are some concerns that can happen? How do we evaluate how do we evaluate whether that trust versus mistrust step has occurred and how what the result in the relationship has been? Well, then you can connect that evaluation with the actual test that goes with it, which is the strange situation. And then you can move to the next step of creating. So this is just a really short example where you where you create. And so oftentimes with the create, I'll have the students discuss or elaborate or explain or expand upon some idea that they've already discussed uh, earlier on in their discussion. So in their group discussion, you want that to take, you know, 20, 30 minutes. You want it to take a good chunk of the class time. And then when you come back to the group as a whole, you can report out for each group. So if you have a class of you know, 50 kids or whatever, you can divide that class into, into groups of eight to 10 and have those groups of eight to 10 students discuss these questions among themselves. You as the instructor can move around the room, answering questions, clarifying concepts as you go around and as they continue to discuss. Typically, I have the questions written out on a paper with space between and the each group is to take some notes and then and then towards the end of class each group reports out something important that they talked about in their particular group and by doing this i can evaluate how much they understand the particular concept or the chapter that we're studying or the topic that's of most importance, the key points, the key information, because not only have they listed back to me the, the terms, but they've also told me the definitions, they've also explained how it applies, they've also found a way to analyze it and evaluate that, and they've also found a way to explain it or expand upon the knowledge that they've gained from the chapter and the discussion that they've had afterwards. So in reality, what I've experienced, I know it, it sounds a little bit weird because, because you don't have, you're, you're not sitting there with a multiple choice and you're not examining every response to every question deeply, 
But by students having that discussion, they internalize that content so much more than they would with a multiple choice question. Um, so much more than they would, even if they have to do an essay answer for something because, because they've actually had to go through this whole process. And you'll find that once they once they've done this a few times, they kind of look forward to being able to take that content and make it real and applicable to themselves. And that idea of taking what they've discussed and making it meaningful and personally relevant and applicable, that's the big idea. So I want to thank Dr. Albright for participating in the, in the podcast, for using faculty development to help her teaching and her students. And I want to thank you for listening, as always. So until next time, happy teaching.